Welcome to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We're glad to have you here. We hope you would hear, be challenged, and encouraged by this week's teaching. Head to gospelcitynow.com for more information. You know, we just started this series on Hebrews. If you're new with us this week, maybe you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go uh, and listen to last week's message. But man, uh, what a great, uh, just excited about Hebrews, excited about what God is doing in in our church through the the book of Hebrews. Now, we're getting into a section uh, now that... uh, it's just interesting. It's got a lot of interesting things in it and things that we're going to have to discuss. And uh, when you've been in ministry as long as I have, you've seen a lot of things. And uh, uh, particularly, I could probably write a book on uh, just things I've seen either at weddings or funerals uh, that, uh, you know, are just just terrible theology, quite honestly. You know, I, since I moved to Florida, I've probably done, I, I did a wedding, my first wedding in Florida a couple of weeks ago now, and they asked me, have you done a lot of weddings here? I said, no, but I've done like 10 to 12 funerals, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, so I've gotten to do that a lot. And it never fails, especially when you do the funeral for, for, for a non-believer, that you get some really bad some really bad theology, well-meaning, you know, good-hearted, uh, but individuals, you know, it could be a daughter that gets up there and says something. It could be, I've seen it from pastors that get up there and say some really bad theology around, uh, around feudals and, and, and also particularly in what we're going to deal with today around things like angels. And, uh, you know, I've heard things like, uh, you know, when someone dies, they say God must have needed them more than we do. Uh, no, he didn't. Um, you, you know, th- he didn't need us uh, to, to be with him. That's just bad, bad theology. Or s- some other things I've heard a lot, especially when it comes to angels, I've heard things like, especially at funerals of non believers, that God got another angel, right, when their loved one died. And uh, no, he didn't get another angel. Uh, or, or secondarily, you know, Sally finally got her wings or something, you know. And uh, th- this is all, I guess, cute, you know, chicken soup for the Christian soul kind of stuff. But it's just bad. It's just a bad understanding of biblical theology on eternity and angels and death and, and, and all those kinds of things. This ideology that we become an angel when we die, it, it's, it's fascinating to me on a, on a couple of different levels because not only is it unbiblical and therefore untrue, but it's also um, a, a lesser reality than we're actually going to experience those who are in Christ. It's ba- basically, if you say someone becomes an angel, it's a he- that, that, that's an eternal demotion. Right? It would be like, you know, I, I, I cheer for the Tennessee Titans. They got put out of playoffs tier. But, um, you know, they have a running back, Derrick Henry. Maybe you've heard of him. He's probably one of the better running backs in the NFL. And it would be like Derrick Henry saying, hey, listen, I want to come to the Miami Dolphins and be the water boy. He's not going to do that. It's going to be a demotion, right? It's the same thing for us saying that we become an angel when we go to heaven. We don't become angels. That would be a demotion. You know, angels aren't made in the image of God like we are made in the image of God. Uh, Angels didn't have Jesus go to the cross and die for them as we had Jesus go to the cross and die for us. For us to become an angel is an entire demotion when we're talking about eternal and, and heavenly things. So that's not biblical. We don't become angels. You don't get wings. You know, you're not a fat little Cupid on a cloud. Those things aren't 
uh, aren't true. And, and so um, bad angel theology exists today, no doubt. Uh, but take, take courage. Maybe some of you uh, are, are having some, you know, you know, right now you're like, I didn't know that was true. I didn't know that. I thought we got wings. You know, you're, I'm kind of busting your bubble right now. Have no fear. Those things happen to the early church too. That's why the, the author of Hebrews is writing to the early church because their angel theology was all kind of messed up. Now, uh, okay, let me set the setting for you because um, for the, the, the audience that the writer of Hebrews is writing to, that they uh, were Jewish Christians. You have to remember that. They have a Jewish background. And, and particularly, uh, between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, this inter-Testament period, uh, that, that, that they, in this period is kind of known as the Second Temple Judaism, so to speak. And, and there was uh, tons of literature that was going around during that time, not canon, not Bible, uh, but, but different literature. And, and so much so that a lot of this literature had a very high view of angels, a, a, a very uh, expanded view uh, of angels. As a matter of fact, uh, many in Israel considered angels to be both God's messengers and Israel's protectors. And so, uh, you know, the, many of the Jews looked at the angels in a very high position uh, in, in this time. And, and specifically, they were kind of hoping that when, when God would rescue Israel, that he's going to do it with this army of angels. It's kind of, if you remember uh, when Jesus is being crucified and, and uh, he's kind of being goaded there on the cross, he's like, hey, why don't you call it to God to rescue you and send his angels down here to, 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 to rescue you? Well, they had this high angel ideology there. And, and uh, even so, in this period that w- was the rise of this idea of, of personal angels or what we kind of kind of called guardian angels and and uh you know again i don't want to ruffle your feathers i mean i know of a lot of you you if you had a guardian angel he'd be worked to death you know um but I do want to clear up some things. You know, Scripture doesn't explicitly say we all have our own personal guardian angel. There's an obscure verse in Matthew 18 where it's talking about children, and there's there's an angel assigned to uh, the, the children. But uh, but there's nothing explicitly in the Scriptures that say that that we have a guardian angel uh, that that watches over us. You know, uh, obviously the Scripture there's a, there, there's a part in, in the, the Israel. Uh, Begin to hold to this that there was that that Michael the archangel was assigned over Israel to watch the nation of Israel, uh, but but it's not, there's nowhere in Scripture that explicitly says that we have an angel that is watching over us individually, and uh, it, and even some of the early church fathers believed. Not only this guardian angel thing, but that you had this personal, this personal angel, but also you had a personal demon, which, uh, you know, it's kind of like that cartoon where there's, a, there's an angel on this shoulder and the devil's on this shoulder and, you know, which one are you going to listen to kind of deal. And, and, and really, we just don't see that in the scriptures. And so uh, maybe some of that was in that intertestamental period of writing, but we just don't see that explicitly in, in the scriptures. So, so you've got all these kind of angel ideologies, high view of angels, so you can see see why the writer of Hebrews would need to address this, would need to deal with this. And uh, because really they were beginning to kind of see Jesus 
on par with angels, or maybe even angels even higher uh, than, than our Lord. So he's, he's writing them. He's addressing this. Now, I'm going to read the entirety again of chapter 1 for us. It's quick. It's 14 verses. It won't take us very long. Uh, but what we saw, and the reason I'm doing this is because what we saw in the first four verses last week, we saw the, the, the writer, the preacher of Hebrews, he's making a truth claim about Christ. He he. he, he, he he made a truth claim. You know, remember we talked about that he was the greater prophet, you know, that God had spoken through the prophets before. Now he's spoken through his son. And that, it, that, it, that he has been given the name that is above angels, meaning he's son and he's God. So these, there's these great truth claims that the preacher uh, had, had, had said when he started out his book. And now he's going to give the scriptural evidence for the truth claims that he made that we talked about last week. This is always good practice uh, to, if you believe something, that you have a, a, a verse that you can point to and say, this is why I believe it. You know, uh, th- This won't be for maybe everything that we believe, but most of the stuff that we hold to, we should be able to support it uh, with the scriptures. And, and, if, you know, and, 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 and this is good practice. If someone presents an argument to you or you in sitting under preaching. You, you should all the times be Bereans, right? Did you, you examine those things and say, okay, what verse led you to believe this belief that you're holding to, right? Um, you, you know, so, so much is held in the church today and churches today that is so, so social-driven, uh, society-driven, and not scriptural-driven. So we want to be people of the book, right? We want to be people of the Bible. So our sermons, our teachings, the things we believe should have a scriptural, biblical uh, foundation to them. And that's, that's exactly what, what the writer, what the author, the preacher of Hebrews here is doing. He's putting scripture where his beliefs are. So, so let's read this together. Here we go. Hebrews 1. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Now we're getting into the angel part. We read this verse last week. Having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of, right, of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Verse 10. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. 
They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, this is this chapter one is exceptional expositional preaching uh, in that, again, he's. He's he's made a truth claim. He's using the scripture to to back it up. And, and then this is a good word that scripture interprets scripture. The writer of Hebrews is quoting Old Testament scripture to explain the, the coming of the son and, 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 and that he is superior over angels. He's using the scriptures again to to make that our Holy Spirit inspired to uh, point out. What he's what the truth claims that he's making about about Christ. So essentially, you have here a commentary of the Old Testament passages. Now, I want to break it down uh, in a few different uh, sections here. Verse five and six. Let me just read it again. For to which of the angels did God ever say, "You are my son; today I've begotten you"? Or again, "I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son." Verse six. And again. When he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. The first point I want us to get this morning is that the son, Jesus, the son is better and therefore worthy of worship. In in these two verses, you have um, the Old Testament quoted from Psalm 2, verse 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, and Deuteronomy 32, 43. And, and the main idea, the main thought here that the writer is wanting us to get is that Jesus is the Son of God and that His name, which is the name Son of God, is greater and higher than the angels and that His position is greater and higher than the angels. So much so that this Son is worthy of great worship and not just any worship, not just our worship, but He is worthy of the worship of the angels that He in fact created. So He, as Son of God, is worthy of of worship. So it's made clear that God never makes uh, sonship uh, a, a thing for any of the angels that that is given to one Jesus Christ and and so these angels um, may be servants of God messengers agents witnesses but they're not his son and so there's a distinction there and the name son is higher than the angels and then specifically Deuteronomy passage that's the the third one there in that in in in, in the one in verse six uh, it says. Uh, the, the, the passage's original context is about Yahweh or God the Father. And, and the writer of Hebrews is applying this to God the Son. And we'll get into this here in a minute. But again, we talked about this last week, again reinforcing the Trinity, the, the Trinitarian theology that Jesus is God. And that's, that's what the writer of Hebrews is wanting to make clear to us to make sure we understand that he is God and worthy uh, to be worshipped. We see that. He's, he's superior to the angels. He's better. He's greater. Um, he is God. We should have a very high view of Jesus. And, and why this is important is uh, you can see in all of the world that th- there is an enemy that would love nothing more than for God's creation to see Jesus as something lower than he is. To, to, to devalue 
Jesus or to have a low view or even a lower view of Jesus than he actually is. And and I think this is probably one of Satan's primary tactics. I mean, if you look at the other two Abrahamic religions in Judaism and Islam, they, what do they think about Jesus? Well, they have a lower view of Jesus. They, they think he was a good prophet. Well, they think he was merely a good, a good teacher or, or, or a good man. This is a lower view of Christ. This, this takes Jesus from being God, from being deity, and lowers him to something other than that. Or, or maybe you've had a Jehovah's Witness knock at your door, right? And, uh, and they want to talk to you about, about Jesus. Well, they have a low view of, of Jesus, too. They, they believe him to be a God, not God Almighty. Matter of fact, they think he's a created being, that he's Michael the archangel. And through Mike, uh, uh, Michael the archangel, everything was created. The universe was created. Um, a relatively high view of Jesus, but he's not God. It's, 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 it's not, uh, you know, obviously they deny his full uh, deity. And, and one of the things that Jehovah's Witness points out in this text, uh, the author says that Jesus uh, it, it refers to him as God's firstborn. Now, for us, when we hear the word firstborn, like I, I, I was, I'm the oldest in my family. I got three brothers. I'm the oldest. I was the firstborn. We, we immediately put that in chronological order. But, but the Bible does something significant with the phrase firstborn in that it, it, it is a position of um, of superiority. It's a position of prominence. It's a position uh, uh, given in, in honor of, of someone who um, is, is worthy of a position, even though they may not be the oldest, the eldest brother or the oldest one uh, in, in, their, in their family. So for us, we can't think chronologically when we hear that, that because uh, they point out, well, see, he's firstborn it means he was created and then and everything else was created through him. Well, we see Repeatedly in the Bible, the phrase firstborn used, and it can't mean chronological uh, birth order, right? It can't mean, it can't mean creation. And so so uh, we have to take that out and begin to look at that word firstborn. And uh, specifically, again, this is uh, firstborn is a position. It, it's a it's it's uh, uh, you, you know, it's, it's given to someone that that. Um, is given rights by God, given first order rights, first birth order rights, but not first birth. You see this over and over in Scripture that the younger sibling is treated as the firstborn. You see it in uh, Isaac versus Ishmael, right? You see it in Jacob and Esau, both the younger brother, but they have the, the, the firstborn rights. Uh, you see this over and over in the Scripture. So it doesn't mean uh, order, right? And, and so... Um, so we have to understand that chronologically. Also, as further proof, in Psalm 89, 27, God says this of, of David. He says, I shall also make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Well, David wasn't a firstborn. So he's getting the priority. He's getting the position of a firstborn. He's getting the birthright of a firstborn. But, you know, he wasn't the eldest son of Jesse. Matter of fact, he was the youngest son of Jesse that we have on in, in the scriptures. And so so obviously this firstborn can't mean chronological birth order. And so uh, and why is this important? OK, David, we get it. You, you, you've gone on already. Why is this important? Having a right view of Jesus is important to right worship. It's essential to right worship. If you have a wrong view of Jesus, your worship is going to be faulty. And, and, and further than that, you're, you're 
salvation, your justification was probably going to be faulty as well. Because in, in, in every instance in religions where Jesus is not God, they also get justification wrong. Because if Jesus is not God, then your salvation needs help. If Jesus is not God, in, in, in a lot of these faiths that most, if not all of these faiths that have a low view of Jesus, they also have a works-based salvation. Why? Because you have to. Because Jesus is not big enough or powerful enough or God enough to save you, so you've got to work hard enough to do it yourself. Now, he may add on and help out, but really it's up to you and your morality. When you get, God's, when you get the deity of Christ wrong, you also get justification wrong. Now, there are some faiths that can get the deity right and justification wrong, but you can't get the deity wrong and the justification right. It's just impossible to do. And so you see that with Jehovah's Witness. You see that with Mormons. You see that with a slew of Islam and Judaism, a slew of others that get the deity of Christ wrong, and therefore it's not a saving faith. Um, Okay, let's read on. Verse 7. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. The second point we see here is that Jesus is better, particularly than the angels, but everyone is better because he reigns on his throne. He's king. He reigns on his throne. The first passage quoted here is Psalm 104.4. This passage is indicating, again, that angels can be servants, but the Son is divine. And uh, and so, you know, Jesus um, uses the angels as his own servants. He commands them and they do what what he wants. So obviously, uh, he's higher than them. The next verse quoted is Psalm 45. Six and seven, and, and we see here that angels may surround the throne of God, but they don't sit on it. Jesus is the one who sits on it. Uh, they, they may be sent out one's angels, but they're not the anointed one. That's the Messiah. And then finally, Psalm 102, 25 through 27. And again, the context here is about Yahweh, yet it's now identified as Christ. And so the only explanation for this is a Trinitarian theology. And, uh, and, and one of the things you have to remember about the audience here, they're Jewish Christians. They, they, they would have known and known very well the Old Testament. They would have been learning it the entirety of, of their lives. And this means they're familiar with, they're, and they're particularly familiar with these Old Testament passages. And I'm sure that these Old Testament passages provided for them great comfort in the years before this, that they, they read them, they knew them, they understood them. And in the past, the context that they've always given to these same passages are Yahweh or God the Father. And now the, the preacher, uh, the writer of Hebrews here, is now given those same verses to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so they would have gotten the connection very quickly, especially in context of Jesus is greater, He's higher than the angels, He in fact is God. He, he, is, he, is, he is God and worthy to be worshipped on God as God. And so He sits on His throne 
worthy of worship and honor. And so, so again, the, 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 author, uh, the, the author here is just reiterating the, the, th- the fact that Jesus has always been. He will always be. Uh, this this echoes First John. This, you know, just I mean, I mean John one. It just uh, echoes that he he's always been. He will always be. And 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 when everything else that is temporal fades away, he will still be there. He is God. His kingdom is forever. It's this creation versus creator division. This permanent versus temporal division. That's that's what the author is making clear here. Is Jesus is other. He, 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 angels are created. Jesus was not. He has always been because he is God. And he will always be because he is God. This is crucial to the worship of Jesus as he deserves. And then let's finish out the passage 13. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? The third point here is that Jesus is better as the head of the church. We, it, it, we, when we were studying the Bible, we're in Ephesians this past week, and we got into understanding that the angels are even now learning from the church, that the, the, the rulers and authorities, the spiritual rulers and authorities are looking upon what we're doing, which is a whole other sermon for a whole other time, uh, but, but they're looking upon us uh, to, and they learn from us. Now, I can't explain all of that. I'm just telling you what the Bible said, right? And, and, and so we see that they're, they're involved in some ways in the life of, of, of the church. I don't know that we have, I, w- I wouldn't be as confident to say we have guardian angels, but I, I would be confident to say that the church, that the angels are involved in the church. Now, obviously, Jesus is better. He's the head of the church. The angels are the servants sent out on behalf of the church. And so uh, you can see, again, what the author is trying to communicate here. Now, the first verse that we just read, it cites, uh, or the only verse in that section, Psalm 110.1. And, uh, and this verse communicates, again, uh, that Yahweh promised uh, the Messiah utter dominion over the world, that his enemies are going to become a footstool um, to, to his feet. And so you see, again, Jesus being exalted. He is um, the agent of creation. He's also the agent of redemption. And, and then he's going to be the agent of consummation in the end. That, that you know, he will reign forever and all his enemies will be made a footstool under his feet. Now, again... Angels are messengers sent out for the purpose of God. They, they function as witnesses. Um, they, they were a part of uh, you know, a lot of the redemptive historical events. They were there at the birth of Christ. You remember that? The angels, glory to God in the highest. They lit up the sky. These poor little shepherds didn't know what was going on, right? But the angels showed up and said, guess what, stinky fellas? Jesus is here, right? Go see him. And, and so they were there. They showed up. And they were, they were a part of that. Angels are also sent out for God's justice. There's, there's a passage in Second uh, Kings, I think 18 or something, where one angel kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. Uh, that's power. That's 
you, you know, you know, bringing the justice of God as it's needed. You, you also see, uh, you know, I just started reading through the Bible again, studying through the Bible. You see when when God seals off the garden, there's an angel there with a fiery sword to slay anyone who tries to get into the tree of life, which is a whole mind blowing thing. Um, now to even think about, like, oh, we, we go find, it's like Indiana Jones and Lost Ark or something, we go find this thing, right? Uh, but don't try it or you'll be, your head would be chopped off. You'll be walking through a tree, your head just gets cut off. I don't know. Uh, but they're there for that, to, to guard that. Uh, you have in Revelation where angels are going to be used a part of the army of God to exact justice on, on the earth. So angels are important. They're a part of, uh, you know, God's, his work in the world. They were part of the birth of Christ. They're going to be a part of when he comes again. He used them a lot in the Old Testament, and they're just an important part. They're also, again, important for the church. They're sent for the work of the church. I think I have a more positive eschatology in time uh, hold meaning. No matter what you hold to, I, I think we should have a positive eschatology, which just means I think the church, uh, while we'll experience persecution and, and there may be tribulation and all those kinds of things, I still think that we we will gain ground. There's promises of scripture uh, that that will be talking that talk as if the church is going to continue to grow like a mustard seed until it grows and grows and grows and grows. Uh, right? Not that we won't experience persecution persecution, but also when we're challenged that uh, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like the, like the church is on mission and we can't fail, right? So, so that means that I, I think God has empowered the church to continue to advance in the world. We're not victims. We don't huddle up in the corner and cry for mommy. I think we have the power of God on our side. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have angels helping on our behalf that we're supposed to push back the gates of hell, push back the darkness until the enemies of God are made a footstool for Christ, until Christ comes and, and takes the last enemy and slaughters it, which is death. And so the church is supposed to advance on the world. So every time you share the gospel with your neighbor, you're pushing back the gates of hell. Every time you come in here and you sing out to the glory of God, we're pushing back the gates of hell. Every time we, we gather together and pray, we're calling on God to use us in the pushing back of the gates of hell. We're on the offense. We're not on the defense. So, we, you know, we can say, oh, we're losing ground. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing this. No, 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 no. Listen, wake up and speak up until they either shut us up or kill us. And that's the only way they're going to be able to shut us up. Yeah. And so we, we are to be a people that continues to, 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 to see God is working through the church to advance the kingdom of God in the world. And he's using you to do it. And he's empowering the church and using angels in that work. I don't know exactly how all that works. I just know they're sent out on behalf of the good of, of the church. But don't miss the main point, which is angels are spirits that minister to the body of Christ and therefore sent out by Christ himself and are lower than Christ himself. Angels are indeed remarkable. but They pale in comparison to to our great God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, why does this matter? David, we get it. We, we, we've never thought the angels were higher than Jesus. Why are you even preaching this message? I mean, maybe this was effective for Hebrews, but how is this 
why does this matter for us? I think for two main reasons. One is that we must show more commitment to Jesus than curiosity about angels or demons. When I was a student pastor, um, one of you know um, one of the primary things, probably I don't know. Every every time I had uh, an adult leader training, we had small groups. We we had hundreds of students, and we'd have small group leaders that would get you know eight to ten students, and they'd be responsible for them. So I'd have this leader meeting where we'd have a hundred leaders in here in, in this meeting, and, and and it never failed that every time that I would do a training, I would have to train on how to regain conversation back to the topic at hand because it it never. Failed fails, especially with my middle school leaders. It never fails. I mean, you could be talking about having godly friends, or you could be talking about purity, or you could be talking about anything other than angels and demons, but for middle schoolers, it's going to always come back to angels and demons. It's just it's just curious, you know, the, the devil and angels and the spiritual world and all these things just spikes our curiosity. I mean, heck, even our, our Bible study on Thursday night, like we get kind of moved on to a verse and then we're all like, hey, we want to talk about the angels. Jose was like, no, I didn't want to talk about that. But then we just started talking about it, right? Because we were just curious about these things. It's easy for us to do, but I would say to encourage us in that our commitment to Christ should be higher than our curiosity of those things. Uh, and I would even go as far to say, and other non-Christ things as well, like end times. You can get lost in study of end times, and is the Apache helicopter part of the end times? And, you know, you have a, all these different theories going on where, where you just, you, you, you get bogged down in all these kind of crazy left-behind series, and you lose Christ. And so... Um, Yes, study those things is good to study those things, but our commitment to Christ should be obviously greater than 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 those things and our curiosity. But it's you know, we need to just remember again, Jesus is the son of God. Angels bow down to him. They worship him. Jesus is the ruler who loves righteousness. Right. As the scripture says, he's unchanging. He's forever. He's given um, he, he's he, God has given him authority in 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 over the world over his enemies like these things are right and good and true. So we should put our hope in him. We should put our hope in him and remember, you know, angels didn't die for your sins. I'm not I'm not telling you anything you don't don't know, but to remember that Jesus is the one who laid down his life so that you could have life in him forever. The one who laid down his life to, to pay the penalty that your sins deserve and to give you the righteousness that he earned. He did that because he loved you. And that's what we need to continue to remember and put our hope in. If we get so lost in the peripheral things other than the gospel, we can go in a worm, wormhole we can't get out of. And so focus and worship on Christ. The second reason I think it's important is because we have to worship Jesus as God. And so, David, yeah, you said that a hundred times. Don't be deceived. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to think that Jesus was just a good man. He would love nothing more than for you to think Jesus was just a good teacher and not worthy of obedience and worship. He would love nothing more for you to think that Jesus was just a prophet and not Lord and Savior of your soul. 
He would love to lower your view of Christ. So, so be on guard for that. He is not equal to angels. He's not equal to us. He's not equal to Satan. He is above all of that. He's higher than all of that. And he's worthy of worship. He is God. He's not merely a prophet. Though certainly the best prophet we've ever had. He's not merely a priest. Though certainly the best priest that we needed. He's not merely a king, but certainly the greatest king we've ever known. He's God, and he's worthy of our worship. And if he was not God, if he was not God in the flesh, then we're still in our sins. If he was not God, then we're st- that means he had some level of unrighteousness and wasn't a worthy sacrifice in order to take our sins upon himself. But he was God. He is God, and he took our sins upon the cross because he was worthy to do such. And because he's God, he was worthy, seen worthy as God and the righteous one to be the substitute that we needed, the perfect lamb that we needed to atone for our sins. So you can see why it's important. But it's not only important theologically, it's also important practically. You may verbally say Jesus is God, but do you live like Jesus is God? Do you bow your knee to him? Do you submit the entirety of your life to him? Do you submit all the struggles that you're wrestling with to him? If we did an audit of your life, would it scream Jesus is God? Would your, would your worship scream Jesus is God? Would your marriage scream Jesus is God? Would your parenting scream Jesus is God? Would your bank account scream Jesus is God? And so not only should we say it and say that we believe it, but do we look like we're His? We're in His army. We're under his allegiance. We, we, we bow our knee to Christ and Christ alone. He is God and he is our king. And we worship and adore him. So what in, maybe there's some area of your life where you need to submit to the lordship of Christ. Because if he, he's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. So what area of our life can we, and we can all have something that we can bring into further submission to the Lord. Right? All of us. Have something that we can, okay, I'm holding on to this. I'm, I'm trying to be a king of my life here. I'm gonna hold, oh, I ain't going to give you this, God. No, we need to let it go and put it under the submission of Christ. He is God and worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise, Gospel City. Let's pray and praise him, okay? Father, we love you. We're so thankful for the text, so thankful for your word. We pray, God, that you would... Uh, not allow us to be lulled asleep by our enemy, that we would be um, watchful, that we hold Jesus as God theologically, Jesus as God practically. Uh, Father, we're we're thankful for the order of things. I mean, uh, you know, we, we don't have a great temptation to view angels as higher than Christ, but man, there may be other things that we view as higher than Christ. We, we may view, you know, societal pressures as higher than Christ or maybe, maybe his word really doesn't mean these things and we bow our knee to pressures that come outside of the church and, or sometimes within churches. And, um, and so, Father, I, I just pray for a great resolve to cling 
to the truths of Scripture that Jesus is God and worthy of all worship and praise. And as such, being God, fully God and fully man, was the sacrifice necessary, sufficient, and worthy to atone for our sins. Praise be to God. Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners like us. And praise be to you for the formation of your church. And I pray that you would put your hand on your church, especially gospel-centered churches, God, to continue to push back the gates of hell. By your power and for your glory and for your good, help us to make the enemies of God a footstool to Jesus. And the church has been doing that for years. Where is Zeus? He's a footstool to Christ. Where are the plagues that have come before? They're footstools to Christ. And the church continues to push back the gates of hell and Christ to be exalted. So would you, Father, revive your church in America and let us with boldness proclaim the goodness of our God to a world that needs Christ more than all anything else. Father, we love you. If there are things that we have not brought into and under submission to the Lordship of Christ, would you just, in your kindness, lead us to repentance? By the nudging of your Holy Spirit called conviction, I pray you would lead us to closer to your heart and be exalted by us, your people. We love you. We praise these things in our God's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gospel City Church Podcast. We hope you found encouragement, inspiration, and biblical truth that will challenge you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Our mission is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the city and to the church and to see disciples who follow him wholeheartedly. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. This will help us reach more people with a life-changing message of the gospel. You can also visit our website at gospelcitynow.com to learn more about our church and our ministry. Remember, the gospel is not just a message to be heard, it's to be lived. So let us be sent out this week boldly bringing hope, love, and truth to the city and the church. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to next time.